Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding, and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kombucha and Color. I'm Shay, and today I have a repeat guest on the show. We have Lulu Becker with us today, and Lulu is an incredible pelvic floor physio. She's a woman's health healer, although I probably she'll give her own explanation for that and the work that she does. But she is a physiotherapist and is specifically trained in women's health and dealing with the pelvic floor. And I wanted to chat to her specifically today about her preparation and planning for pregnancy, labor, delivery with a special relationship to the pelvic floor. So thank you for coming onto the show again. Your episode is very popular, so you can go back. We'll put it in the show notes so people can go back to listen to that episode. If you have a vagina, you need to listen to that episode. So, <laughs> and just as, as a heads up for this, this, this conversation is probably going to get quite explicit. So if there are young people that you don't want to be hearing this kind of conversation that we're going to have today, then just bear that in mind. So welcome to the show, Lulu. Thanks so much for having me, Shay. I was just actually thinking before this call, how long your podcast has been going for now? Because I was one of the first people you had on it just after Ella was born and she's nearly three. Yeah. So at the end of so soon it's gonna be three years old. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. So do you wanna give for people who are perhaps not familiar with you? I think lots of people are familiar with you, but people who have never heard about you before, do you wanna just give a quick intro as to who you are and what you do? Sure. So as you said, I'm a physio who has specialized in treating the muscles of the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor muscles lie at the base of the pelvis. And I help ladies predominantly, but also some men who are struggling with incontinence, pain in the pelvis, uh, vaginal prolapse. I also help kiddies that are struggling with incontinence and bedwetting. And I am incredibly fascinated by how our emotions and our kind of mental well-being plays into our physical well-being. And as you know, I'm particularly fascinated by how we hold emotion in our pelvises. And so I was in London for a very long time. And now we've been back in South Africa for the last two and a half years and I work from home. I've got two little girls that were both born in the UK, where I was lucky to have very straightforward, um, drug-free vaginal births of very big babies. So my girls weighed 4.4 and 4.3 kgs. But I was yeah very lucky to have very empowering births both times. And so I see lots of ladies here while they are pregnant and help them with just getting ready for labor in general and postpartum. Amazing. So I did put on Instagram some questions for anybody who perhaps knows you or follows you and if they have any questions specifically that they wanted to ask you. And to give you a heads up, like when I decided that I wanted to have you back on the show, it was actually because I had a specific question for myself that I wanted to ask you. And I was about to pick up my phone to send you a WhatsApp note or to send you a voice note and be like, look, I have this question. Can you help me? 
then I thought, actually, I should probably just record this and save it as a podcast because I'm sure other people who are going through the same journey might have some similar queries that I'm about to ask you. But before I get onto my question, I had three people that kind of asked or told me some stuff that they wanted to hear from you. And the first came from a friend of mine, Holly, who I know you've seen, and she said, I actually have no question for Olivia, but I just want to tell her, just want you to tell her how wonderful she is and how wonderful her work is in the world. So thank you for all that you do, Lulu. So. Oh, Holly, you are so yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. So that's the first one. So the next one, and then I kind of, this is quite a general question, so it can kind of lead into where we're going with this conversation. But a woman asked me, you know, she's heard that it's quite good to see a pelvic floor specialist or to see someone like that in pregnancy what are the recommendations for when you would see somebody like that? How often would you see somebody? Is it if you have an issue, do you, if you feel something's wrong or do you have it throughout the course of your pregnancy or what would you recommend as like an optimal journey in that, in that regard? So I think in a perfect world, if everyone could see a pelvic floor physio at least once while they're pregnant and then for a postpartum check at around six or eight weeks postpartum, and we'll maybe talk a bit about what that involves. And then if you are having any symptoms, then you might need a bit more than just that one session. So say now someone like you who's not having any pelvic floor issues, but you decide, right, Lulu says I need to go and see a pelvic floor physio. What is that going to involve? So what we're going to do is just have a look at you generally, how your tummy's growing. We're going to go through just the changes that are happening in your body. So with regards to your tummy muscles, um, widening and thinning to accommodate the growing of your baby. We are going to have a check of how your pelvic floor is moving because as I say all the time, I think Kegels are possibly the most overprescribed exercise in the whole world. And I think what we're seeing more and more is all these years we've told ladies just grip, 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 do your Kegels when in actual fact, the letting go is probably more important than the strengthening. So your pelvic floor physio might do an internal, might not, depending. So an internal exam involves us just placing one finger gently into the vagina. It's not with a speculum or anything scary like you might have had for a, a pap smear. And we are getting a feel for how much movement your pelvic floor has got how much strength is there, and then also just feeling if there are any trigger points or little knots in the muscles because very few people realize that in the same way as we get knots in our shoulders, we get knots in the muscles of the pelvic floor. So depending on what your physio's preferences are or what you are um, struggling with, you might have an internal or if you come and see someone like me, where I've got a um, real-time ultrasound machine, then we might just scan your pelvic floor from the outside and we can get a bit of a feel for, uh, for how it's moving, check that you are able to connect and to be able to let go. And then we'll also be able to feel your pelvic floor externally. And then we can get quite a good feel from feeling just behind, kind of between your sit bones and, and your back passage to see how much letting go and activating you're managing with that pelvic floor. And then we'll also talk to you about my probably my most favorite topic, which is constipation, because I don't think anyone comes through the pregnancy and postpartum journey without being affected by constipation. So we'll go through um, some education and some good habits for that. And then we'll highly recommend that if we don't see you again in the pregnancy, that you come back for that six week, that postpartum check. If you are having any pain in your lower back, which we know is quite prevalent in women um, who are pregnant, I think the research, the last that I saw said it was about 65% of ladies have pain in their lower backs in pregnancy. I see lots of ladies here that are struggling with pain in their pelvis. 
So we used to call it SPD or symphysis pubis dysfunction. We now call it just PGP, pelvic girdle pain. So lots of ladies find that they have pain in the pubic bone in the front um, or pain actually down into the pelvic floor, into the vagina, into the anus, um, or tailbone pain is also very common. And so if you are struggling with that, then we might need to see you a bit more frequently. We will, again, we'll be going through lengthening that pelvic floor, treating the muscles around your glutes, your inner thighs, that tend to also get so, um, so stiff too. Mm, amazing. So that actually also links onto a query and thing that I had because there's an NHS app here. It's like a squeezy app and it's very much connected to squeeze the pelvic floor, release the pelvic floor, quick squeezes, long squeezes. What is your a recommendation for that? Do you think that's that's kind of like a good thing for postpartum? Do you think it's not recommended at all? Do you think it's too generic? Like what is your understanding of that? So in a nutshell, I think it's too it's it's too generic. I think the Squeezy app is fantastic for being a reminder of checking in to do your pelvic floor exercises. I have treated ladies in the past who've just been doing too much squeezing with the Squeezy app and then have made their symptoms even worse. So I would say if you're listening to this and you are someone who has pain with a tampon or history of pain with sex, you have pain in your tailbone, you get pain into your vagina, pain into your anus, you've had a long-term history of constipation, chances are you don't need to be squeezing. Chances are you need to be working on the lengthening which then follows on to how I teach pelvic floor exercises, which is always with the breath and with always a full let go before an activation. So, I mean, even a few years ago, I was telling everyone, oh, you're pregnant six times a day. You need to be doing your squeezes. And I think, but I think also because I treat such a high percentage of pelvic pain here that I probably for every 10 ladies I see, I'm getting nine to relax their pelvic floors and perhaps only one to activate if they're struggling mm. with leaking. Mm. So I think you just need to be very discerning in how you're doing your pelvic floor exercises. And sadly, even, you know, Women's Magazine opens telling you to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And a lot of the ladies who come to me who've been struggling for a while, they've done some Googling and Google and their gynae generally have told them just to squeeze. And a lot of them are quite surprised when all we actually then end up working on is that letting go. So I think if you are able to rather have an idea of whether you should be squeezing or not, and it needs to be a more of a personalized plan, it's no longer the days of us being absolutely blanket and our recommendations of how you should be doing pelvic floor exercises. I mean, even the recommendations for exercise and pregnancy I like mm. shudder to think the things I was saying to ladies eight years ago about what they should and shouldn't be doing. We were telling ladies to really back off and not do anything. Now we're saying if it feels good, if you're moving, it means you, and if you're not leaking, you're not getting that doming through the middle of your tummy muscles, you're not feeling heaviness or dragging and you're not feeling pain, then keep on going. So in question to that with the releasing, how would somebody, if they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm releasing that pelvic floor, what would be some kind of physical thing that they could look for and be like, okay, now I know that this is a relaxing or how would you cue that for somebody who's maybe not connected to that part of their body for them to feel it? So I think one of the easiest ways to see, and I can only see now as I'm looking at ladies as they're standing here, is to look at what the tummy is doing. So if we think of the core as being a balloon, so we've got diaphragm at the top, we've got pelvic floor at the bottom, tummy muscles on the front of the balloon, deep back muscles at the back of the balloon. So if we imagine now what's happening when you're breathing in, 
So as you breathe in, your diaphragm comes down. So the top of the balloon is being squeezed down and we should get a lift in the belly. The belly should rise and we should get a bit of a lengthen of the pelvic floor. And then as we exhale, the diaphragm comes up to take air out of the lungs. The pressure in the, in the abdomen or pressure in the balloon decreases. So the belly should fall and the pelvic floor should have a gentle lift. So everyone who's listening can actually practice now. Uncrossing your legs. And then I want you to pop one hand on your lower tummy, one hand on your upper tummy. And then just take a breath in and out. And do another breath in and out. And notice what's happening with your tummy muscles when you do that. It should be that as you inhale, both hands are lifting and your belly's rising. And as you exhale, both hands are falling. Now, in the ladies that are struggling with an overactive pelvic floor, we'll either see that the whole belly comes towards the spine on the inhale, so it should be breathing in, diaphragm pushes down, uh, belly rises, but we'll often see that they are reverse breathing, so they'll breathe in and their belly goes to the spine, or they might find that you might find that your lower hand is rising, but your uppermost tummy muscles just below your ribcage and I saw a pregnant lady this week who was actually, I should have actually asked her for a video, but she was doing it in such a classic way where she was breathing and the lower bit of her belly was rising, but the uppermost tummy muscles were going towards her spine. And then I knew that her pelvic floor was tight. So then the way to feel your pelvic floor is now you can just take your hands underneath your sit bones where you're sitting. So try and bring your hands between your sitting bones at the back and, and your anus. And to see that you're in the right place, you can just do a cough <laughs> and you should feel that they depress a little bit. Did you feel the pelvic floor coming down? Mm. Okay. Now, as you breathe in, breathe in and notice if you can feel that there's a bit of a lengthening into your fingers and exhale. So think about your tummy breathing again. So breathe in, belly should rise and you should feel that you get a bit of a lengthening into your fingers when you do this. And as you exhale, Belly falls and the pelvic floor should lift ever so slightly. If you felt when you were doing this that there was nothing sinking into your fingers, then you are very likely to have a more overactive pelvic floor and need to be working more on the releasing. But if you were feeling that there wasn't much movement down, I'm guessing you are someone who struggles with pain in your tailbone, has a history of struggling with pain with sex or pain with a tampon too. Gosh. And often jaw. Jaw and neck pain too, often very linked to it. Interesting. And so, so okay, in that case, if say say that's you and you're like, gosh, this is not really for me, then that would be a trigger for you to say, okay, I need to speak to a pelvic floor specialist. Yeah, definitely. And then you can start working on that breathing yourself. And I mean, it's incredible how adaptable our bodies are. And we, we tend to say that muscles that fire together then wire together. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, I think my pelvic floor is perhaps overactive, then if you can just work on putting your hands on your tummy and making sure that when you breathe in, you can feel your you conscious of your belly going into your hands, that's going to be giving your diaphragm more of an excursion down and it's actually going to be giving a stretch to your pelvic floor at the base mm. of your core too. And then, yes, definitely to see a pelvic floor physio too. And to practice that, if you're in pregnancy and you're like, okay, this is something that I want to practice, how often or when do you recommend practicing that for somebody who is in pregnancy? Is it suitable for all stages? Is it towards the later stage? So definitely suitable for all stages. And I normally say try and do it for two or three minutes before bed. 
So it can be really relaxing. And actually lots of the ladies and actually the men too that I treat who are struggling with pelvic pain, long after their symptoms have gone, they say every night they just work on their breathing because it's just such a lovely, calming thing to do. So I find sometimes it's actually easier for ladies to connect if they're lying on their sides. So lie on your side, pop a cushion against your tummy so that you're getting that proprioceptive feedback with that breathing. So then you're going to breathe in so your belly rises. And then imagine that you're opening vagina, opening anuses if you're letting a fart out. Exhale and relax. Inhale, open vagina, open anus like you're letting a fart out. Exhale and relax. Then if you are someone who has no symptoms of pelvic floor being overactive, then I would still encourage you that while you that to do this breathing, but that when you are doing the pelvic floor lift, you do it on the exhale and that you're still getting the full relax when you do this. So it's the same thing again. Inhale, belly rises, open vagina, open anus like you're letting a fart out. Exhale, lifting pelvic floors if you're holding a fart in. So it's that diaphragm and pelvic floor move together. Inhale, belly rises, open vagina, open anus. Exhale, belly falls, and you can lift pelvic floor up. Mm. And then when it comes to pushing your baby out. This is my next question. (laughs) Then when it comes to pushing the baby out, then you're going to push in the same way, really as if you're having a poo. So for that, it's going to be inhale, belly rises. Think about open vagina, open anus. As you exhale, no breath holding to push the baby out. As you exhale, you're going to tighten your tummy muscles to generate the pressure to bear down as if you're going to be doing a poo. But keeping the pelvic floor as relaxed as you can. Yes, but but and then the the intra-abdominal pressure increases from the, the tummy muscles activating and then it actually further opens and lengthens the pelvic floor. Got it. Okay. So a good thing to do is to practice pooing like that. So it's breathing in belly big. And as you exhale, tighten tummy muscles and push down gently to poo. And I always say that your husband or your birthing partner's most important job is to not let you hold your breath while you're pushing. And some of the more old school trained medical professionals, they'll tell you, no, hold your breath, you know, bring your chin towards your chest and push. We don't want that. We want you to breathe your baby out. And I mean, we know that ladies have given birth lying in full comas. So we don't actually need to push our babies out. And I think something that I encourage all my ladies to do too is to not push before they are really feeding the urge to. So in terms of in terms of positions, we ideally want you, if you haven't had an epidural, Ideally, the more upright you can be, then the more space your pelvis is going to have. So I've seen um, some, I haven't actually seen actual research on it, but I've seen some thinking that if your tailbone can be free, I mean, you think of how many of your pelvic floor muscles attached to your coccyx, to your tailbone. If your tailbone is free, then the pelvic outlet can be up to 25% bigger. And obviously, when we're trying to get a baby's head down through our pelvis, we really will take all the space that we can get. So if you haven't had an epidural, try and hopefully you're in a space that you can move into the position that your your intuition is guiding you to. So for a lot of ladies, that is on all fours, that's high kneeling, that's squatting down in the shower, and you're going to breathe your baby out. If, and you're not going to start pushing, I say to ladies, imagine if you were sitting on the toilet and you had like explosive diarrhea 
And then I was saying to you, you can't poo, you can't poo, you can't poo. You will know when it is time to push because you will get this overwhelming urge to push to poo. And then it comes on to the next thing, which I think is also important to be aware of is I think a lot of us become a bit self-conscious while you're pushing, because especially if you've got, you know, doctors and midwives all looking in your perineum, because that feeling of pushing the baby out is just like the feeling of doing a poo, that what can sometimes happen is you're almost trying to knape and, you know, trying to hold at the back around your anus, and then you're trying to push down in the front. So it becomes quite counterintuitive because it's this, it's the same bowl of muscles that has the vaginal opening, that has the anus there. And so I say to all my ladies, just accept right now that you're going to poo in the labor. Just accept it, own it, you're going to poo, okay? Now don't worry about it because if you, and then you might not poo, and I promise you the doctors, the nurses, they've seen it all. But if you can just be thinking of having that back passage relaxed, having your jaw relaxed, having your mouth relaxed. I got seen the most beautiful birth story last week of a lady who said um, she actually kissed her husband passionately because she'd read it was such a good way of releasing the jaw um, while she was pushing the baby out. And she didn't tear at all. So Amazing. Uh, Try yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I, I don't think I was in any stage to be kissing anyone in my um, <laughs> final pushes, <laughs> but it's just the more relaxed the mouth, the more relaxed the jaw, the more relaxed the pelvic floor. And then if you have had an epidural, you won't obviously be able to get up onto your hands and knees. You won't be able to um, use gravity as much. But see if you can either move onto your side. So again, you've got your tailbone that much more free. Or if you can actually just have a rolled towel just below your lower back, just again, so that that pelvic floor has a little bit more space, then it can make just such a difference for how, how you are delivering. I think it's better in the UK. I think what I see more here is that, you know, just because you're 10 centimeters dilated, it doesn't mean you're not ready to push. That transition phase, I mean, I've had ladies who've been in transition for an hour where they just felt like nothing actually happened and then they got that urge to push. So we don't want to coach ladies to start pushing too early because we know that prolonged pushing doesn't make for a very happy pelvic floor or happy vaginal walls afterwards. Mm. So wait until we've got the urge, try and listen to your intuition, be as upright as possible, and then no breath holding when you are pushing. Mm. Well, actually, I don't even like the word pushing, breathing, when you're breathing your baby breathing. out. Yeah. It's so interesting you say about this feeling of like owning the fact that you're going to poo, because I've said this to Warren, I was like, I think the most challenging thing about going into labor is like the vulnerability that I've said to him. I'm like, it's like, imagine right now in a room full of people, just going into the middle of the room, taking out down your pants and like doing a shit on the middle of the floor. Like that is so like out of your brain to do that. And that, that is what it must feel like to be in labor. It's like you're in this place where you actually are just eliminating something that feels so private, but yet you're in like a room of people and watching. And so I've said to Warren, like, you must just like know that this is going to happen in labor. And like, I was like, you must just like be comfortable with this. And so he's now as a jerk, like this last week when we were in Cornwall, he's like doing a fart here. And then he's like, Shay, I'm just giving you a, a free, a free ride so that we can all be like on par with this. So I'm like, cool. This is what I like. <laughs> amazing but do you remember before when I was like getting ready to have puppy I remember I had like all these different outfits I was like okay so this is going to be what I wear in the birthing pool and this is what I'm going to wear here this is what I'm going to wear there 
when you are in the throes of labor, you do not care. I think by the time I am, remember my waters were just breaking everywhere. So I kept trying to leave the house and then the taxi was waiting. And I just was gushing waters everywhere. So I had like no clean clothes left. And I think by the time I got into that hospital, I think I took my nightie off in the corridor. You get into like this like deep animal primal state where you are just like, I've just got to go. <laughs> and that's, yeah. And I mean, that's what we really hope for. You hope that you are able to turn off your more like mm. conscious thinking brain and tap into that space. That is, you know, really that primal animal brain of like where we get, you know, the, the, the drive for hunger, the drive for sleep and the drive for how to birth our babies. But in the same ways, we can ignore our brains, ignore our intuitions when we are tired, when we are hungry, we can ignore that silent pull to birth. And this is why things like pregnancy yoga, meditation, just coming into that space of not being in that mind racing is so powerful in equipping you for, for birth. And I mean, that's really what hypnobirthing is, isn't it? Mm, it's just mm. getting you into that more yeah, primitive brain space. Yeah. And that's actually one of the other, one of the other kind of questions or just she wanted to, someone who wanted to hear your opinions on this. And I know this is something that we've really been kind of been speaking about in a roundabout way, but this connection between feminine energy and the pelvis. And I think this also feeds very much into the intuition, the creative self, like that more primal brain, which like I think is invaluable, not only for labor, but how you transition into motherhood and trusting those impulses from within yourself. So maybe if you just want to share your understanding of that. Yeah, definitely. So when it comes to the pelvis and the pelvic floor, and then thinking about the more masculine and feminine energies. So we tend to say that the masculine is the more logical, practical, getting things done, looking after everyone else. And really today's society celebrates the masculine because you need to be successful, you need to have everything together, you need to be go, go, go. So I normally say to my ladies that the masculine is more survive. And I mean, we need, you know, I had a lady recently who said she's been working with someone who calls her the divine masculine. I thought, you know, that's actually such a good way of putting it because it is the divine masculine too. We need that. I mean, it's the masculine that's got us up and ready and sorted to have this chat now because it's got things going. And we tend to say that that plays out on the right side of the pelvis and the pelvic floor. And then the left is our more feminine. So the feminine is the more playful, creative, intuitive. And, you know, that Dr. Christiane Northrup, we both love her work, um, that gynae from New York, she talks about how as women, we have these times in our lives where we get this like extra bonus access to our deep feminine wisdom and intuition. And pregnancy is such a powerful time for this, where we are able to tap into that more intuitive, more creative, more playful space, and that it is also so strong in that um, in the birth and in the postpartum time. Because, and you'll see when you have your baby, listen to everyone's advice, and then just do what your heart thinks. Because I say this every week in my pregnancy yoga class: there is no one on this earth who could be growing this baby better than you can. There's no one on this earth who could birth them better than you can. And there's no one else who could, who could raise them better than you can. That's why they've come to you. And I think the journey to motherhood is so powerful for so many people because they feel that they're able to step into that, into that place because actually you have no option but to step into it. And you can actually be Googling all the things in the whole world at two o'clock when your baby's unsettled, but you've actually just got to go and move and do what you can. And I think that's, because these days we don't access our intuition that much because we are more in this like masculine analytical headspace 
and I, I said to a lady this last week, I said, because you're now not having to think, I've got my baby in this arm and my toddler in this arm, do I think I should walk to the left or do I think there's a line on the right? Now it's like, oh, Google it, WhatsApp someone. We don't get to tap into it as much. But like anything, and I mean, you know this all too well, intuition is a muscle that any of us can flex. It's something that we all have. And it's something that if you can just start to go with that gut feeling, and I mean, you know, I love the science as much as I love everything that's more woo-woo. And I think the research is really starting to back us up with this too. The research is saying, listen to that gut feel. The more that you can be tapping into that more feminine, playful, creative, expressive space, the easier the whole journey is because again, the feminine is to flow and the masculine is to control. And I mean, as you've also learned on this journey already, is there anything that makes you more aware of the lack of control of anything than this journey to motherhood? I mean, lots of people listening to this will have had a long journey towards conceiving or an accidental conception. And then when it comes to the birth, you can have all the plans in the world, but it doesn't always unfold the way we want it to. We aren't always able to breastfeed the way we want to. You don't know what your hormones are going to be doing in that postpartum period. And I think perhaps this is also why, you know, Dr. Northrup says this is such a powerful time because we really just have to become more flexible through all of this. Mm. We cannot be controlling in this journey. Mm. Mm. Do you know what? I have some of my, well, one of my own theories about this intuition link because for me, intuition is something that comes through the body. So it's something that you are like, your body is your tool. Your body is your sensor. And in a state of pregnancy, you are more hyper-focused to the body because you're like, what is going on inside me? How is this changing? Is my baby still moving? What's happening? Like you're very much in your body as opposed to in your head. And then also these things that we don't really think about, but are just so part of our everyday experience for many people, drinking coffee, drinking alcohol, drinking all these, having all these things. And suddenly throughout this journey of pregnancy, you may be reducing them or you may be cutting them out completely. And suddenly those things that are usually spiking up your stimulation system or spiking up the nervous system are not present anymore. So you've kind of got yourself into this place where you're like, actually, I'm tapping into what's going on for me my body, myself, rather than something else that's triggering a little spike or a little bit of a, oh, there's a anxious feeling, but maybe that's just the coffee that I had three hours ago, whatever it is. So that's been like an interesting reflection for me in this journey. So Definitely. Far. I think that is, that is so, so true. Exactly what you've said. I think the other thing that happens and you'll find that you might've been finding this already, but as you get further towards the end of your pregnancy is that Mother Nature actually also helps you to, to cut through the clutter. And I mean, I think that's our pregnancy brain is such a real thing. And I remember, especially at the end of my second pregnancy, I would sometimes sit there and I'd be like, oh my goodness, I have nothing in my brain right now. It's almost like your brain just stops going through all the, like, the unnecessary clutter so that you can start digging a bit deeper and firing up the more, the, you know, the deeper areas of the brain that, that we need for birth, more of the hypothalamus and less of that neocortex. But yes, I agree completely with what you're saying, just that tending to be more present. And it just coming back to the pregnancy yoga too. At the beginning of every class, I say to the ladies, 
if anything that I ask you to do doesn't feel quite right, then please just move down into child's pose or into whatever modification feels right for you because this is the time that you are starting to listen to your body. You are feeling into your body and you are honoring what feels right for you right now because this is the practice for labor and this is the practice for postpartum. So Lulu's got a pregnancy class on a Thursday afternoon at five o'clock South African time. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. So we'll put links to these in the show. Um, okay. So my actual specific question that I had for you for, for me is that I keep getting advertised this thing called Annie ball, which is this balloon thing that you put into your vagina as a way to prepare yourself for perhaps possible uh, expand, basically expanding the, the vagina in preparation for birth. And so the premise is that you put this kind of like a balloon thing into the vagina, you take two pumps of this balloon and it widens the vagina, and then you practice like pushing this or breathing, should I say, breathing this balloon thing out. And then over time, you take three pumps, and then four pumps, five pumps, and you get a maximum of like maybe 10 centimeters that you get this thing expanded. So what would your would you say that something like that is a really good idea? Do you prefer something that's more manual, that you're just massaging your perineum or getting yourself into that feeling of it? Because I think for me, like I feel quite prepared in terms of like managing the contractions, managing labor, but my only like last bit of like, hmm, is like the tearing. And I'm like, I don't want to go down that route if I can help it. Obviously nobody does, but it might be a possibility. So what would you recommend for that? What did you say it's called? It's called Annie Ball. Annie Ball. Okay, A-N-I-B-A-L-L. Okay. So I haven't heard of that one, but I'm guessing it's a variation on the Epino, which has been around yes. for a few years now. So I'm a big fan of the Epino. They are quite expensive in the UK. I think last mm. I took about 120 pounds. And yeah, I think Annie Ball is about 50 or 60 pounds. So Okay, yeah. so that's great. So it's a lot more affordable. Um, the Epino here, I've just had a lady recently who bought one and I think she paid maybe like two seven or 2,800 rand. So it is quite expensive. I am actually a fan of them. And I think that it's one of those things that the research hasn't caught up with what we're seeing anecdotally. So my ladies who are using them are finding that they are very helpful. It's one of those, I had a lady recently that she said, oh, but I use the Epino and I still got a bit of a tear. And I said, well, the thing is we don't know because you might've been someone who had a terrible tear. You might've a third or fourth degree tear, but because you had the Epino, you only got you know, just slightly bigger than a first degree tear. So I think it's it's difficult. I suppose I would have to just do a big study where they just saw overall the incidence of the tears between the two groups. But I think everyone needs to be doing perineal massage. And I think even a lady recently said, oh, but I just don't even know if I'm doing it correctly. And I said, the thing is, I think so much of it is also you putting your hand down there. You are feeling connected because especially if you get as big as I did when you're pregnant, you can feel very disconnected to your body by those last few weeks and very big and uncomfortable. So I think definitely the perineal massage. I think something like an epino is great. Again, how much of it is actually getting those muscles used to being um, that bit more lengthened or that skin around there stretching a little bit more and how much of it is it you're taking that time in your day to connect to that part of your body and be aware of that sensation I treated a lady in, in London who said that her NHS midwife had said, no, don't worry about the epino, just buy an anal balloon from a sex shop. 
So those are only about 10 or 12 pounds. So a few of my ladies bought the anal balloon, which does a similar thing, but it doesn't have quite the right, the same shape. So a few ladies said that it was the epino is a bit easier because the shape's a bit easier the way it comes in, whereas the anal balloon still does the same thing, but it's perhaps not as, as comfortable. But if you're a little bit unsure, spending 12 pounds is going to be easier than mm-hmm. spending 120 pounds. Mm-hmm obviously check what they recommend but most of these things we don't do before 37 or 38 weeks um just to start getting prepared yeah so i'm i'm a fan of them i've had a number of ladies who've used the epino and not torn at all um but again were they the ones who were just going to be lucky and not here they're the ones that were just more likely to be more active in their birth and you know that much more i think it's difficult to know exactly what all the contributing factors are but yes I am a fan and it's interesting because I was also thinking about this and thinking yes it's that it's that connection that you spoke about and it's like just getting yourself familiar with those sensations and then also because we know that so much of our sensations of pain are created in the brain that having yourself experienced that sensation you're like it's desensitizing you to that pain you're not it's, it's not something that's unknown anymore. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm familiar with this. So the fear is gone. And because the fear is gone, you're not tense. You, there's, there's less tension in your body because that's like this big cycle that goes on. So do you want to speak about the, the pain and the fear cycle that kind of relates to labor? I think what you said is so true. And again, how much is it like, oh, I'm so worried that I'm going to tear. I'm so worried I'm going to tear. Mm. And then perhaps ladies are, are holding. Or if you go and then you think, you know what? I feel like I have prepared myself the best way I can. I've optimized my chances of having as intact a perineum as possible. And then you do just relax more into it. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back to just how fear and, and that plays into the labor, you know that to contract, we need oxytocin. So really what happens is the baby's head when you are in labor is coming down to push on the base of the cervix. That stimulates oxytocin, which then makes the uterus contract, which makes the baby's head come lower down onto the cervix oxytocin. And we we get into this beautiful cycle of oxytocin, which is our happy hormone, which is why we know you labor better at home if you're feeling safe and secure. And all that goes really well unless it's arch enemy adrenaline comes to the party. So when adrenaline arrives on the scene, it tends to kind of stop and undo all the good work that oxytocin has been doing. And adrenaline's job is to create a big burst of energy quickly to be able to bolt from the line. So adrenaline is really the only hormone that we have that doesn't dissipate naturally And so when we are feeling that coming into our labor, the best way to deal with it is to move or shout or stomp or breathe very heavily because that's going to help to deplete the adrenaline to allow the oxytocin to come back up. Understanding that, you know, Mother Nature is so clever. If my brain thinks that there's a lion in the room, it's not going to let me deliver my baby. This is why we have these stories of ladies that are laboring so beautifully and then they get to the hospital and they feel overwhelmed by the bright lights or they're not sure where they were going or something and then their labor stops because mother nature doesn't want you to birth a baby and then the lion sweeps in and takes it straight away. So I think even just having the awareness around that, which is also why I say to my ladies when they're going to the hospital, try and have something that smells like home. So if you've been using a lavender spray at home, smells like home, feels like home, so a blanket or a cushion or something that feels like home, tastes like home if you've got some snacks, 
sounds like home, if you've got a, a, a playlist that you feel comfortable with, just so that we're almost like tricking your, your brain, tricking your subconscious into feeling like you're in that safe space. Mm-hmm. And Natalie Meddings, whose book we both love, like Natalie says, how often does the lady end up, she plans, even with a home birth, like plans this whole birth and plans where she's going to deliver and then spends most of the, the labor in the downstairs loo. And that's because she's able to close the door. It's a small, confined space. Your brain wants you to feel absolutely as safe and unexposed as possible. And I think that's where it's also incredible if when you are laboring, you can have the lights off. Because when the lights are off, everyone tends to lower their voices and everything just is that much slower and quieter. And then I think your brain feels that much safer when you are delivering. A lady uh, told me a story recently. She was having a, trying to have a VBAC for her second birth. So she'd had a cesarean for her first and then she was laboring beautifully for her second. She'd done loads of hypnobirthing, loads of work. And she said she could honestly say she had no pain in her contractions. She was in the birthing pool. The candles were lit. The lights were, were dimmed. She said she was just in this zone and having the most incredible experience. And then she said the midwife noticed that there was a little bit of blood in the pool. So because it was a VBAC and because everyone was obviously on high alert, the decision was made immediately that she needed to be transferred, get out of the swimming pool and be transferred across for further medical intervention. She said they flipped the lights on, music went off, and she said she could honestly say she went from zero pain to the worst pain she's ever known in her entire life. She said they were trying to get her onto this hospital trolley and she said she couldn't move. She was just screaming and her contractions hadn't changed, but her perception of threat had. Mm. And she said mm. that was when she realized just how powerful the environment and the flow that you are in is in terms of how you're able to, to tolerate the surges and the mm. contractions in labor. That's amazing. And I've actually had a chat with Natalie. I've asked her to be my doula for this woman who wrote the book, How to Have a Baby, which Lulu recommended to me. And she said something similar. She said she was at a home birth and she said that there was a woman who was laboring beautifully. Everything was going well, like everything was going well. And one of the midwives turned to her and said, can you feel the baby move? And in that moment, it was suddenly that she had gone from the primal brain. Suddenly now she's gone into I'm thinking neocortex, like, oh my gosh, is the baby still moving? I haven't felt my baby move. Like, it's just like brings you back into that, like almost like panic state alert, what's going on. Whereas like, you need to kind of be switching that off. So like, yeah, so incredible how the brain is just like so involved in this and how we need to actually just lower certain parts of the brain to get ourselves into that primal state. Definitely, definitely. Sure. That is such a powerful story, but you can totally understand Mm. how it would play out hey Mm. so just to circle back onto this perennial massage say somebody who's who's hearing this they're like okay this this annual epineur um is a good idea but perhaps they're not wanting to not wanting to get that well how would you recommend doing a perennial massage for somebody who wants to prepare themselves in that way connect to their body but doesn't want to spend the money So I usually say use a bit of lube. So if you've just got some lube at home or some ladies like to use olive oil or coconut oil, again, just check with your gani or your midwife when they're happy for you to start. But most ladies start around 37, 38 weeks. 
depending on how big your tummy is and how easy it is for you to reach round, then I'm sitting propped up with your back against some cushions. I've had lots of ladies whose husbands have done the massage for them. There are some amazing husbands who have really studied a lot of uh, the midwives or in NHS will be given a leaflet on it or read up on the internet. So if you're struggling to reach or if you've got a husband who's um, happy to, then he can come and it's really applying pressure with your thumb at the entrance to, so the introitus or the entrance to your vagina, and you're just practicing having a bit of a, a stretch and a lengthen down um, all around at the base of the entrance to your um, to your vagina. We don't want you sticking your finger up and then up towards your pubic bone because we don't want you fiddling around where the urethra is but we want your finger rather coming down and then down towards your sitting bones or down towards your back passage okay and how much and how frequent should that be oh i think there's not really an absolute set plan i normally say to ladies just go and have a google have a look and see what what resonates with you but if you can try and do it every day would be ideal for five minutes but otherwise I've had other ladies who found that they've done it every second day and found it very helpful. But if you can kind of get into a routine in those last few weeks that after you've had a shower, you just do a little bit of that massage and stretching down. Yeah. Amazing. Well, is there anything else that you want to add about how to prepare for labor, birth, um, any tips, tools? I mean, you've had big babies with amazing deliveries and I know your birth was really empowering for both of them. So do you want to share maybe your experience or anything that really resonated for you? I know when I've been thinking about planning my own birth, I've been gathering stories from different women around the world that I know have had positive empowering births and asking for their one thing that they really felt was so useful for them in labor. And I think Lulu's yours to me was it's productive pain. It's like, it's, it's moving you towards something. So if you want to share anything else that you think was really stood out for you in labor. So I think the beauty of the internet now is that we can find so many birth stories. I would say in your third trimester, try and Google and read a birth story every day, because again, it's preparing your subconscious it's helping you to notice what is normal and know what is normal. Again, Natalie, her website, Tell Me a Good Birth Story. She's got lovely stories on there. I would say listen to podcasts about births. And then, I mean, it was a huge um, positive move when in the last 18 months, um, Instagram stopped censoring birth images. So I would say go and follow some birthing accounts. And that first time you see a baby's head crowning through a perineum, you will probably do a little bit of a double take because you haven't seen that before. And then your brain will start to register that as something totally normal. And again, it's going to take the fear around. I think if you can have that visual of seeing how incredible it is for that head to come and just be gently stretching and opening around the vagina for the baby to be born, I think that's incredibly empowering. I think if you are fortunate enough to have friends or a sister who've had a positive birth, sit and go through it with them. And anything that we can be doing to just desensitize these very overthinking neocortex brains that we have, which sadly often have very negative stories around, you know, there's often a lot of fear around birth, then I think that's possibly one of the most powerful things you can do. Obviously, in South Africa, we don't have a very high vaginal birth rate at all. But what I tend to see is in the ladies who do have vaginal births, I see pockets of friends so or sisters i see lots of sisters so the older sister had a positive birth experience and then the younger sister will too or there'll be a bunch of four school friends that have then all decided to have a home birth and it really 
it is just unbelievable how having that positive story and positive feeling around birth is so empowering and helping to set you up for a positive birth experience. And then I think the other thing that I, I say more stays here is the peace you have around your birth afterwards has less to do with how you deliver and more to do with how empowered you felt in the process. And I can feel it in my ladies when I do their, their postpartum check at six weeks, I can feel in the pelvis if they're holding tension in a particular spot, if they felt that they were coerced or not heard in their birthing process. And I saw a lady recently who ended up with an emergency cesarean after she'd had a very straightforward vaginal birth for her first. And I said to her, I said, you have absolute peace about the cesarean. She said, 100%. She said, I know it was 100% the right call at the right time. And I said, well, I can see you feel that because I can see in terms of the way that her pelvis was holding, she got absolute peace from it. And then I saw another lady recently who had a drug-free vaginal birth, which here in Durban is not, not all that common. And she's holding so much. And she just, she just felt she wasn't really respected and supported in the way that she would have liked to have been when she felt quite vulnerable towards the end. So while everyone else would be like, oh my goodness, but you did it. You had like a, a drug. She, she doesn't feel that very yeah, safe and empowered feeling from it. So my wish for anyone who's listening to this and for you, Shay, is that afterwards, there's no perfect way to birth. There's no easy way to birth, but that you feel like it's been empowering and that you feel like you've been heard in the process. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I still love that. Yeah. And I, it, that, that gathering birth stories is also, it's about also knowing when to say or put up a boundary to the people who are perhaps sharing their stories that are not that empowering, not that positive, but those people are often are the people that need to decompress. They need to share that because they're, they're holding something that needs to be released from them. And like I've had a, an experience recently where I was around a group of women and they were just starting to share these quite uh, overwhelming birth stories. And I can feel myself, I can imagine myself like in a car and like just winding up the window of like this car door. And I'm just like, I'm listening to you, but I'm actually not allowing this to come into me because this is your story and, I, and that is your story. And like, I, I respect you for that, but I need to actually make sure that my boundaries are set up with what I'm choosing to let into my space at this point in time. Yeah, I think that's such a such a good thing to to surround yourself with people if you can. Yeah. Well, Lulu, we haven't actually even got onto postpartum stuff, but maybe we will get onto that in another episode. We'll have to have you back for a third time. But yeah, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you do in the world. And yeah, if you if you do have any issues with pelvic floor, as you've heard, if you don't have issues at all and you're pregnant and you just want to kind of have a little bit of a check-in to see if everything's good, I would so recommend Lulu just go and see her. She's in Durban and and she's got all the right COVID protocols up and running. So you can see her in person um, or join one of her Zoom classes um, that she's running for preggy ladies. So yeah, Lily, thank you for your wisdom and for sharing it with us and for all the work that you do in the world and all the women that you empower. Thank you so much for having me, Shay. And I'm so excited for your journey that lies with you. <laughs> Especially we're still in London. I wish I could be your birthday partner. Oh, no, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I was joking with Lily when we when I first thought, oh, actually a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, Lulu, when, when I fall pregnant, you're going to be my doula. You're going to be like my birth doula. And when I found out I was pregnant and I was, it was my brother's wedding was in December and I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm just going to have to 
be back in South Africa in December, go to my brother's wedding and hey ho, Lulu will be in, this, in South Africa and she can just be my birth doula when I'm flying back to South Africa. But I don't think oh. that's going to happen at the moment, but um, that would have been wonderful. So, that would yeah. have been so cool. So, so cool. <laughs> it's such a, a nice birthing center that's just open in Maritzburg too. It would have been perfect. Oh, I've seen that actually on Facebook. It looks incredible. Yeah. One in Maritzburg and Durban just open up. Very exciting. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you again, everybody, for listening. You can catch up with Lulu and all the links. I'll put them into the show notes so you can go and find her and follow her on Instagram and check out her offerings. So thank you, Lulu. And we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.